Disclaimer. The following podcast contains explicit language and adult content. The content may offend some listeners. Relax and don't be a hater. Hello. Welcome to a walk in the park podcast. (laughs) This is Riss. And this is Babs. And in our podcast, we talk about life, liberty, and the pursuit of wine, cake, laughter, friendship, success, families, fun, the extraordinary. We're happy you're listening. I can't stop laughing. <laughs> I love it. Let's just get this walk started, baby. Woo-woo. Welcome to the 100th episode of A Walk in the Park podcast. In honor of this momentous accomplishment, we will be testing out some new format ideas and see if we can stick with them. We want to bring you better and more organized thoughts. We want to bring you better audio quality and production, but that is a little bit down the road. One day, we hope to have extra content to launch a Patreon community. Our new segments are Currently on Our Minds, Focuses on a Current Event or News Story, Currently Consuming, Focuses on something we recently read, watched, tried, or are trying. Life shares is the personal part of the podcast. And finally, of course, there is always a sports segment because we love sports. So welcome. Let's go for a walk. Hey, Riz. How's it going? Hola, chica. Como esta? I know. Muy bien. Gracias. (laughs) I'll get back to gracias later in the program. (laughs) Gonna tell that story, I'll tell you. But anyway... (laughs) podcast listeners as we mentioned we're starting a new format here so we're just going to see if we like it and then if we like it maybe we'll try to reach out to get some of you to listen specifically to tell us if you like it um but the first portion of the podcast is currently on our minds and i babs will start with my my currently on my mind topic which is currently on my mind is climate change People, typically conservative-leaning <laughs> It's people. not real. It's not real. I'm sorry. Go on. Okay. Sorry. 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 You go. You go. You go. You're proving my point. People. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Typically conservative-leaning people, in my experience, claim climate change isn't real. To me, this claim is just closed-minded. The climate is changing. That is scientifically verifiable. You can debate whether and how much humans are responsible for global warming, but the planet is warming. Ice sheets and glaciers are melting. Sea levels are rising. Droughts, floods, wildfires are happening more frequently because of climate change, and they are more extreme. Scientists agree that humans are the primary cause of global warming. Just because there are different models with different predictions of possible future outcomes doesn't mean climate change isn't real. It means what humans do or do not do will ultimately determine the outcome. And according to a recent article in the New York Times, if we continue with business as usual, by the end of the century, it will be too hot to go outside during heat waves in the Middle East and South Asia. And hey, if you don't live in those places, maybe you feel less concerned for your future family members. But climate change like that creates refugee crises and other interconnected global problems that don't stay behind man-made borders. So I've been researching nonprofits and NGOs working on climate change, and I'll be donating and looking for ways to volunteer. Climate change is my newest passion project. Well, can I just say, no one can see me, but if they saw me, they know I was nodding my head in agreement most of the time until I picked up my tea to drink it. (laughs) 
Should we clarify for our listeners that you were joking about climate change? Yeah, I was joking. And I jumped in when I really shouldn't have. So A, I apologize. And B, I do agree with you. That's um, okay. My only addition to that is, and I'm not a scientist. So let's discuss this point. The fact is, humanity does, is contributing, has been contributing since the Industrial Revolution to the what the co- the change in course of our climate that's yes. that's a gimme that's a gimme but the question does remain is it just speeding up the process or was it already in motion because we do know science has already proven that we've gone through ice ages and other things that have dramatically changed the landscape i mean let's let's call it what it is volcanoes and the chain, like Pangea, like everything used to, all the, the continents used to be connected and, uh, you know, changes in all of that. I mean, so uh, we're just contributing to it, uh, speeding it up. So it, was it going to happen anyway? Yes. Okay. So good points. Um, I mean, as you said, the planet has been going through natural warming and cooling cycles for billions of years, probably, you know, since its existence or millions of years that we can track anyway. And uh, the thing is, speeding it up is bad for us in the near sure. term. So the planet is going to, even what with what we're doing to it, the planet is still going to last long past you and I and our children's, 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 children, children ad nauseum, you know, are around, but it's like things are going to continue to get worse. Like people are actually suffering because of these droughts, wildfires, flooding, you know, things actually happen that affect people here and now. And people sometimes confuse climate and weather. Weather is stuff that, you know, happens on a daily basis and a weekly basis. And climate is kind of the biosystem of the earth and how it changes, which is why we pay attention to the temperature rising. So Some people don't think like two degrees Fahrenheit is that big of a deal. Like you and I could step outside or go from one place to another and we wouldn't notice two degrees of ambient temperature around us. But two degrees affects things like, you know, plants and soil and just the water, the ocean. I mean, and then that affects things in the ocean and we just don't see it and then by the time we see it the problem is is it going to be too late Um, well to your point we actually did see it when COVID hit and everything stopped and people were who were generally in uh, high traffic areas like New Delhi and LA they saw the smog disappear because no one could go outside no one could use their cars no can trains planes automobiles like that had all stopped for a very brief moment and people kind of saw, oh, with their own eyes, yeah, the, the difference that fossil fuels make and the congestion and all the byproducts yep. of chemicals and the, the industries that are being manufactured in those areas. Absolutely. So it's, it's, Absolutely. A, it's interesting that nobody made a bigger point about it when it did happen, when we did see the difference. Well, in my mind, it's amazing how quickly people forgot about it. The climate denialists, of course, would say that the data was rigged and people, you know, the scientists or 
people providing the data were just making it up to make it seem like that was the reality. But yeah, I mean, we saw it. I think some people appreciated when we saw it, but as soon as things got back to kind of business as usual, people forgot. Now, obviously there are people out there that are doing work and are trying to um, clean it up. Yeah, but then there's always the tension between people, you know, oh, if you try to make these shifts, you're going to kill jobs and, you know, people are going to be out of work and that's going to be worse. And it was, it goes back to something that, I don't know, has always been happening, even just, you know, with the technology revolution, for lack of a better word, of the last maybe 30 to 40 years at this point. Yeah, people have to be trained to do new work, new, different kind of work when, right. I mean, people didn't know how to use computers and then people were trained and now, you know, computers and computer related industries and software and everything employs hundreds of millions of people around the globe. So, or even right. more than that. But yes, climate change, I think it's been bugging me. Well, not bugging me, but it's come more to the forefront because last year I started reading some different books. Oh, you read some pretty big ones because I got terrified after five minutes of talking to you and I'm like, you know what? I'm on vacation. I cannot listen to this conversation because I, I just now want to go home and go underneath my bed covers and stay there the rest of my life. I I know. Yes, I started reading all this like post-apocalyptic climate fiction, which we were in post-apocalypse world, not because of zombies, but because, you know, the climate had changed so dramatically that humans just couldn't survive. Everybody was just dying off in horrible, horrible ways. And that's a good segue, though, to your topic, Riss, because you have. Well, before we well, before we get on, I just want to leave everybody with the real question. Why would you want to poison the earth? You live here. That's my biggest question. It's always like, well, yeah, of course, people are doing studies to prove that everything is, you know, the climate is changing. But why would you, I, big industry runs everything? And there's just not enough people to push back and say, why are you comfortable poisoning everything when you're just going to die too one day? What are you leaving behind? So, well, that is a bigger question, but it has the same underlying answer, I think, which is that humans are self-centered and, yes, I mean, for us to give up, I mean, listen, you and I are blatant climate abusers. Right. We run, we run air conditioning. We drive cars that aren't, you know, that are gasoline fueled we we use batteries use, we use we things use, that are electronic that you throw away we, I mean, we use plastic every day or products with plastic and plastic a large chunk of it gets burned which puts co2 into the atmosphere which has been known to cause global warming so i mean it's like could we give up all of these things and my thing is i you just think of ways to try to do your small part right right but it's a definitely ongoing to be continued conversation for sure yeah yeah it's too but big anyway well it's big it's true but there are lots of big things out there and as i was saying the nice or the terrifying segue from climate change to you know our medical community is stuff that happens in 
the world has impacts in the medical community and people getting sick for different reasons, environmental based, uh, microplastics. We breathe in microplastics all the time. We drink them. They're in our water bottle. We drink them. That's right. We drink them. And yeah. But um, you have some, well, I don't know what the right adjective for. You have some medical community stories to share in this segment. So um, I have two friends now that have suffered strokes in the last four months. One will recover easily enough. Uh, Actually, she's pretty much recovered. Uh, She will be, be, she actually is going to be playing tennis for me this season on our spring tennis team. So she's going to be okay. The other friend, my best friend, had a stroke, two strokes about three weeks ago. Uh, he had a stroke that was uh, went misdiagnosed, and then he had another one a month later. Both were masked due to COVID symptoms and other issues, but I'm wondering how they could go undiagnosed. The second friend will recover and is currently in rehab for a while, learning how to walk and talk again, although he just, um, he just got home. So I feel like the doctors are letting us down in recent years. I always thought a stroke was easy to diagnose, but I guess not. Or in these two situations, the doctors just sucked. I don't know. On the flip side, I had a friend with a sinus infection who um, called one of those online doctors because she really wasn't in the mood to go to a clinic. And she was diagnosed with some rare brain disease. (laughs) Online, okay. Needless to say, my friend went to a local clinic the following day and got the Z-Pack she needed to recover. Uh, but what is going on with the medical community? Like, I don't. Well, you actually highlighted some very interesting points there because you have like two extremes of the standard of care, right? So that online medical professional did like a huge CYA or something, but the standard and, you know, told this person rare brain disease, um, (laughs) That's a pretty big jump, but then you have, like you said, people who are being misdiagnosed, and part of me wonders if doctors just don't do certain tests or are hesitant to do certain things because they're afraid of malpractice lawsuits, but then again, you'd think that would make them want to do more tests and really figure out what's going on. Right, because then it's like my sister-in-law, she wasn't feeling well and her daughter, uh, my niece was like, mom, something's not right. And she brought her straight to the hospital and on further inspection and a couple of tests, the doctors at this ER were like, no, 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 this is a little bigger than what we can handle. And they didn't necessarily diagnose her, but they sent her directly to the bigger hospital, the medical center down the road. And after further tests with them, and I'm thinking it was a PET scan and some other blood work, they found out that she had four tumors in her brain and her lungs had a couple and her breasts had a couple. Oh my gosh. Yeah. She's going to be fine. Uh, She's getting the treatment she needs, uh, but she had to have brain surgery. They said, we have to get you in within the week. We have to take care of these because now they're affecting your speech and all these other things. Um, But it's kind of weird because my thought, is, and I don't know about you, but I've watched enough. I'm, I don't even play a doctor on TV, but I've watched <laughs> enough medical shows and, and drama series to know that doctors have got to 
they're trained to listen to all the symptoms and then keep asking questions as they narrow things down and check them off their mental list. Right. So that's how it works. It's like they start with an overall and then they start checking things off and just to see in their brains how this is going, where this is leading them to and why they test the way they do. But a stroke just seems to me something like you pick on just by looking at somebody and yeah. listening to them because your mouth doesn't work the way it does. And if you have numbness and a part, your one side of your body, that should have been like, I don't, but I don't know. I'm not a doctor. Well, those sounded like symptoms maybe that were being presented where they finally got it like oh okay but you know i wonder especially if you're not going to your primary care physician that you're going in through a hospital and er room or whatnot you know they get a medical history and sometimes if you look at somebody's medical history and then you look at them i would think stroke might be on the top of the list like if you're overweight if you've been a smoker if you have a history of heart problems um if you drink to excess you know regularly like if you fill out a medical form and you answer truthfully, I would think if somebody looked at that, they'd be like, okay, let's see if you've had a stroke. Right. But I know it's crazy though. I mean, I don't know the medical community. I'm well, making my own. The other side too, is that now with the, with the onset of, of Google and the internet, let's face it. Now we're all like MDs ourselves because we go in, the first thing we do is we start searching for what our symptoms could be. And then we think, well, it's a problem. And we go to the doctor. Um, it's like today I sent Chris over to um, the local, not ER, but the medical clinic. The urgent care. The urgent care. Cause he had stuff coming out of his eye. And I said, I, I've had pink eye. I get August is like, we've all had pink eye at some point cause it's so contagious. But I'm like, I'm not a doctor. I just know that your eye doesn't look right. The stuff coming out, it's bothering yeah. you. Yeah. You've had a cold. You've been on a plane. You don't know what you picked up. Just go in yeah. and look at Why suffer? Yeah. And sure enough, I was right. He's like, yeah, you nailed that one. <laughs> someone should, <laughs> he's like, someone like, should I, give you an MD. And I'm like, thank I you. I could so play much. a doctor on TV. <laughs> I could, yes. <laughs> no, I honestly think though, yeah. So there's an online medical community that has just sprung up, you know, in the mm -hmm. past 20, 25 years. And there is some danger to it, but I do mm -hmm. think a lot of people have to self-advocate. And even if you go into a doctor's office with, you know, something that doesn't really seem to fit, if you start saying things to a doctor, it might cause something to pop in their brain right. or, you know, to think about it differently. Um, but yeah, it's kind of scary. I don't know. I, yeah, I have to say I've been underwhelmed with my own medical community experiences recently and I definitely think it's something that's pretty much always you know it's a always a topical issue there's always something mm -hmm. something going on especially right. but the standard of care debate I think is an interesting one like what because you know the standard of care is like okay what a doctor, given the information that he or she has, should be expected to be able to do under reasonable circumstances, right? Sometimes. Right. So it's not just like, oh, you know, doctor, save me. There's never any guarantee that a doctor can cure you or fully treat you. I mean, you know, do no harm. That's their, 
that's their message. But otherwise, we always say, you know, this is why they call it a practice. It's not a guarantee. Even experts can get stuff wrong. And so I do just think people who can advocate for themselves um, within the system. Right. You know, and I then, you know, I, that's that's part of it. I also think that after some ex recent experiences, um, like, you know, our mutual friend who had the huge back surgery, um, mm -hmm. she asked me to go in with her a couple of times. She asked several friends to go with mm -hmm. her for her visits because she was just overwhelmed with the information that was being given to her. Yeah. And it's like, I was writing things down on my phone. Yep. And she, we got into the car later and we were talking and I said, no, that's not what the doctor said. Read my notes. <laughs> right. No, no. And I've done that for friends over the years too. That's right. You need a backup person yeah, listening absolutely. because you're not, you're not going to catch everything. No. I mean, you and I've talked about this too, because we each have a parent who, you know, seems to be operating in a chronic state of brain fog, I'll say right. mm -hmm. for lack of a better phrase and it is you know they go off to these doctor's appointments and you wonder well how much are you actually getting correct or taking right. in right um and then you know is the medical as the medical profession I all right I don't have any specific data to back this up but I feel like it's true <laughs> <laughs> well think about it it used to be it was very prestigious to be a doctor and, you know, people would want their kids to be doctors and people would want to be doctors. And I just feel like now I bet fewer people are going to medical school. I mean, we've heard over the past years, even pre-COVID, you know, the nursing shortages. Oh, yeah. They don't have enough nurses. And it's because, you know, they're just it's really hard work with high risk liability exposure. And you get these people, my point is, who, you know, my mom is in her early 70s and her cardiologist that she uses as a primary care physician, I think, is in his mid 80s. Oh, my God. And it's, you know, but, you know, they assure me, oh, but he looks so young and he walks to the hospital to work every day. And I'm just thinking, I'm like, yeah, but he has the brain of an 85 year old. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. And, you know, one has to also ask as an 85 year old, how far it how, like. I know doctors who, all these doctors really have to pay attention to everything. It's like you going on, you always have to, as a lawyer, have to go for ongoing educational yeah, purposes. That's right. Does so, the 85 year old doctor have to, or has right. he aged out of the system? Right. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure the medical community has kind of its own, you know, right. license requirements, but yeah, it's very interesting. Yeah. Oh my gosh. All right. Well, that listeners let's call that our currently on our mind segment as you can see it can yeah lead to lively discussion um but turning to in this case slightly lighter topics currently on our minds could sometimes be lighter topic like we said celebrity gossip or whatnot but uh currently consuming is uh the portion where we talk about maybe you know just some things like celebrity gossip, I guess. <laughs> I guess I wouldn't put that could be a current news story. But all right, here you go. Here's here's my slightly outdated currently consuming, but I'm going to share it anyway. Okay. Right. December was a binge month for me, what with having COVID for the first time, ugh, and taking a long flight to Argentina. I got to finish the second season of Only Murders in the Building, starring Steve Martin, Martin Short, and Selena Gomez on Hulu. 
Nice. I know. IMDb describes the show as follows, quote, three strangers share an obsession with true crime and suddenly find themselves wrapped up in one when a grisly death occurs inside their exclusive Upper West Side apartment building. The trio suspects murder and employs their precise knowledge of true crime to investigate the truth. Perhaps even more explosive are the lies they tell one another. Soon, the endangered trio comes to realize a killer might be living among them as they race to decipher the mounting clues before it's too late. So, but what this description fails to share is that the trio have a podcast called <laughs> Only Murders in the Building. <laughs> so this was the second season, as I said, and I enjoyed it as much as and possibly a little bit more than the first season. And then the flip side of that was as a result of all of my binge watching, binge watching, I think I only finished one book in December, but my total book count for 2022 was 107 books. Yes. That's impressive. That's a library right there. That is a library. That's a, that's a quarter of a library. You know, I don't have the data right in front of me, but I, if I recall off the top of my head, I think my page count was like 35,666 pages. That's a lot of pages. That's how many pages. I know. That's a lot of book. That's how many books? A hundred and what? 30? 107. 107. Let's go. Do, right, you have so that, a, do you have a highlighted book in particular that you enjoyed? Oh, well, I mean, I have a bunch of five star books each year, I would say. Um, but I, yeah, I'd have to go back and look and see what <laughs> my, which I can easily do, by the way, because here you go. I'll just go into my books and I will, uh, I will go. To my rating let's see what happens okay gosh these were in 2022 2022 is such a long year all right i had a number of varied five-star ratings i'm going to tell you what the books are reminders of him by colleen hoover who is dominating the new york times bestsellers list she even her backlist is on the new york times bestseller list no one is talking about this by patricia lockwood the Ministry for the Future by Kim Stanley Robinson. That's the climate change book that scared oh, yeah. you. That's the one I'm not <laughs> reading. That's right. A Gentleman in Moscow by Amor Tolls and Sea of Tranquility by Emily St. John Mandel. And finally, The Shell Seekers by Rosamond Pilcher. Those were my five-star reads of 2022. Nice. I know. It was a variety. Um, I, think, I think reminders of him might even be considered a romance, which is hilarious because I would never consider myself a romance reader. And then um, No One Is Talking to Us was fiction, but it was really an interesting, um, they called it a genre-defying book. And it was, the, the book asked the question, it's fiction, but the book asked the question, is there life after the internet? <laughs> but it's not like really what you think. They they. The author put it together in a very interesting way. So like the book description, just to share a little brief snippet, a woman who has recently been elevated to prominence for her social media posts travels around the world to meet her adoring fans. She is overwhelmed by navigating the new language and etiquette of what she terms, quote, the portal, where she grapples with an unshakable conviction that a vast chorus of voices is now dictating her thoughts. When existential threats from climate change <laughs> and economic precariousness 
So the rise of an unnamed dictator and an epidemic of loneliness begin to loom. She posts her way deeper into the portal's world. Anyway, and then it has a whole second section, but it says, this is at once a love letter to the endless scroll and a profound modern meditation on love, language, and human connection from a singular voice in American literature. And then, as we know, Ministry for the Future uh, is basically science fiction because it's set in the future, but it's really like a climate change novel. Um, it was super well written and it's basically the story of how climate change will, climate change will affect us all over the decades to come. Hmm. And A Gentleman in Moscow, uh, that was kind of backlist. I had been avoiding this book for a while because I didn't like the cover. But all the books, so I did. I did. I judged the book by a cover, but then finally well, it was popping to. up on too many podcasts. No, you never judge a book by a cover. Um, <laughs> anyway, this was a great, this was an interesting book. It was literally set, an entire life set inside of this luxury hotel. Um, huh. And yeah, it was just a very, in Russia in like the 1920s. So it kind of spanned like 20s, 30s, 40s in Russia and this one gentleman's story. Um, and then Sea of Tranquility was actually, no, that was station. I've heard of that. Yeah, Emily St. John Mandel, she's really interesting. Um, this was another science fiction book. And again, just set some very interesting settings. Um, you know, it's, they said it's a novel of art, time travel, love, and plague that takes the reader from Vancouver Island in 1912 to a dark colony on the moon 500 years later, unfurling a story of humanity across centuries and space. And then the last one, The Shell Seekers, way backlist book. I mean, this book was written, I think, back maybe in the 80s. And I don't know, I would call it a, almost like a family saga. It was just really interesting. Hmm. So I'd recommend any of those books as my five-star reads. Nice. You just reminded me I have to go to the library. I haven't been there in a while. Have you tried the Libby app yet? I, I feel like I've asked no. you this before. Do you, yeah. ever, do you have a device that you would ever read books on, though, like a Kindle or a iPad or a... I do have uh, a tablet, and I... Not a bad idea. I could. I never think about hooking it up to that, but I. I should. I should download the Libby app onto that tablet and use it. That's a tablet I use to uh, work out too. I put the news on and I. Uh, yeah. Work out downstairs with that tablet. It's not a great tablet. It's kind of old, but I think it would still work. Yeah, I just love the Libby app because if you can't get to the library, you know, you can literally just get a book instantly. And True. I would say having the Libby app last year, I mean, that was how I was able to read 107 books. I wouldn't be surprised if half of those 107 books, if not more, were through the Libby app. Nice. Yeah. Too bad and the I beautiful can't thing about to my, I'm sorry. Yeah. No, it's just to say, you know, for people who like to use the library, the beautiful thing about the Libby app is it is the library. So you're not having to go out and, you know, buy a bunch of books that you don't want to store in your house. Right, right. And I think it allows you to read more freely. Like I definitely would check out books that I wouldn't necessarily either find in a bookstore or if I saw them there purchased. Because I'd be like, eh, I'm not sure I'd like that. Right. Yeah. 
But anywho, all right, well, that, listeners, is an example of our currently consuming, and now we get to, you know, the juiciest part of the podcast, the life shares. The life shares. This whole segment rests with whatever you want to talk about, your current situation, your job experience. Oh, where do I begin? You know what? I'll start off with the most important one. uh, currently the whole college thing. We have an 18 year old and the college process is looming in front of our family. It feels larger than it should be probably because we only have one child. August, our son is a senior and we have been looking into colleges for about a year now. We are using something called the NC, NSCA, Next College Student Athlete um, Program or application. It's like a, stu- a LinkedIn for student athletes. And we are, we feel very overwhelmed, but we believe there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Um, I just wish there was a better way to do things, but um, the, the light that at the end of the tunnel that I'm speaking about is that he got an offer to study abroad and that would be in Rome, Italy for a place called the Rome City Institute or LINK, L-I-N-K. And um, so, Chris and August went there this past week uh, to check out the facility, and I think it's a go. I think August will be spending the next three years there because it is a three-year program, and uh, he'll be playing uh, tennis for this particular institute, if you'll call it that. Um, and oh, I think it just sounds like such a wonderful life experience. I think it, I, it's just interesting how it came out of nowhere. We weren't expecting anything like that. And it just- Well, how did it come out of nowhere? Did they just see him in this system or something? Yeah. Or, that's yeah. so cool. They saw him, they reached out and I reached out to, the thing is about the NCSA is that you are assigned, I'll call a coach or an advisor. And okay. that person has not only experience in the field of, that you're pursuing uh, in terms of sports, but they know how to navigate the college process because they were either a coach or they still are. And um, they, they just know the college process from beginning to end. That's what is this called again? Is this the Rome Institute of Liberal Arts? Uh, Rome City Institute. Just the Rome, Rome City, City Institute. I want to look this up while we're talking. So, um, and I can send it to you, but um, so they got in touch with us and I asked our advisor, what is this? And he said, you know what? We don't know a lot about it, but we do know it exists. And we know about a little bit about their programs. We have one soccer student that has confirmed um, that they'll be going there in the fall. So I was, like, well, maybe I should just see what they're all about. And he's like, well, it's not going to hurt. So we got on the phone with the advisor over there and um, we spent some time on a Zoom call with them. And then um, funny enough, I reached back out to them like a month or so later. uh, And I said, what's the process for getting into the school? So he told us and he said, why don't you just apply? So he said, fine. So we applied and he got right in and he got a, a scholarship and he got like a, an offer letter. Yeah. That is so, so cool. Yeah. So we said, how long does the offer stand for? And he said, well, it's due in January, but if you're thinking about coming over, I'll extend it. Gotcha. So that's why they went over to check it out. And uh, 
I, they loved it. It was literally right in the heart of Rome. Um, August can uh, walk from his dorm room, which that's the other thing. He'll have dorms or an apartment there um, that is part of the uh, tuition experience, um, which normally people who do, and you can speak to this when you apply over there or you go to school abroad, they don't have dorms like we do here. Generally, you have to find an apartment or someone to live with or so on and so forth. So that was a big thing for us. Um, I like where he's going to be and uh, it seems kind of safe. So I think it's a good experience. He'll be studying in the morning and playing all afternoon. So I, I like it. I like the idea. I love it. Yeah. I think it's so awesome. And of course, I'm on their website because really I want to know their annual academic calendar, but oh yeah, giving right. it to me. I know. I you know what? I wonder if it's in the paperwork. I didn't see They should it. give you that paperwork. I mean, come on. I need to know your availability. I know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Let's see. Now, so do you think, what are you, Chris, going to go over with him when he goes, or are you just going to drop him at the airport and say, see you later? Oh, no. I've, I've already put a little bit of thought into it, and my initial thought is, building like four days on the front end of dropping him off. So we would drop him off, get him settled in as best we could, because I don't know if you have that type of whatever, what the time frame would be, but get, get some time on the front end, get him in there and let him know that we're there for the next like four days or whatever. Right. And then we go and do our thing while he's getting settled and doing his thing. Gotcha. All right, so what I'm hearing is you're taking a trip to Italy sometime in, I don't know, July, August, or September. Right. Depending exactly. on when he starts. Exactly. Yeah, I would think you, I would, if they gave you paperwork, I would think it would have to have next year's academic calendar in it. Right. Well, but. it says undergraduate annual academic calendar, and I clicked on it. It doesn't tell me. <laughs> okay. I'm gonna have to tell yeah, Giorgio I, to get on that. Yeah, it's like I can't. I know I can't see anything. I found something that said, you know, the calendar, but okay, maybe it doesn't, doesn't say anything. Uh, yeah, no, it's not. Our curriculum, career path. All right, well, that's so, a good life share. That's a yeah. good life share, and that's super, super exciting. You know me; I love international travel, as you know. I was in Argentina with the family to celebrate Jonathan's yes. milestone birthday. We went uh, over Christmas break, and um, I people, you know, have asked like, "Oh, would you go back?" And I said, "The proper question to ask me is, would I recommend that you go?" And my answer is yes. Um, I joked with people that I consider it Spanish Switzerland because the last country that I traveled to was Switzerland and <laughs> I got to, that was in Bariloche. So we flew into Buenos Aires, then we flew across the country to Patagonia on the Chilean border. Um, and Bariloche just reminded me of Switzerland, the architecture, um, That's they're cool. very, into, very into chocolate and that came from, you know, the Swiss. And there is some, I mean, there was definitely a Swiss influence um, really? in that region. Yeah, you know, mountain people go to mountain places and- <laughs> That's true. Um, so yeah, I think, so we stayed at this nice resort in Bariloche. We did outdoor things because that's what Jonathan likes to do. 
Um, I would say my favorite parts of Bariloche were one day we did this, um, we went to this local microbrewery and oh. uh, restaurant and we got to make our own empanadas we had for lunch and that was fun. And then one day we did a whitewater rafting, which was hilarious because my children, at least one of them, I can't remember which one, didn't realize that we were the ones that would be paddling the raft. They kind of thought we'd be in the raft being paddled. Um, so that was quite the ordeal because literally from the resort, it was like a two and a half hour ride to get to this river. Oh, wow. And we get there and we, we stop somewhere, we get off our, you know, kind of charter bus or whatever. We have a little breakfast, then we get our gear. So, cause we were in wetsuits because the river's very cold and we get our helmets and our paddles. And then we take a, another little, you know, shuttle to actually get down to the river. And then they start telling us, and you know, it's mostly in Spanish. They're telling us what to do. And then they kind of translate it into English and looks on the girls' faces, I think they thought we were going to, because they're telling us, you know, what to do if you fall out of the raft and get sucked under. They're like, don't worry, you'll bounce back up in like three seconds. Just be sure to close your mouth. Or if you get trapped under the raft, they're like, if you get trapped under the raft, use your hands to move yourself to find the edge. And I'm just thinking like, you know, okay, if I fall out of the raft, whatever, but I'm like, oh my gosh, if Naomi or Vivian fall out of the raft, I'm like, I I might literally die. Um, Oh my God. So anyway, we had this, uh, our, our raft guide or whatever, the person, the professional in our raft, uh, Perla, she was great. Um, So it was the four Alexanders and then the two annoying Dutchmen, I'm going to call them. The father-son duo, Guillermo and Will, and they had been so annoying. They were at our resort, so they were on the bus the whole time. Two and a half hours, Marissa. They did not shut up. Father and son <laughs> talking to each other for two and a half hours. I'm like... About what? They, it, I wouldn't know, because they were speaking in Dutch. <laughs> oh, my God. We like, picked up other people along the way, and they were still so loud and so obnoxious. And I was like... And I tried, I was like, oh man, I do not want to get stuck with them in the raft because it would be like, you know, at least six people. And, uh, but of course, since they were the only other non-native Spanish speakers, we got stuck in the raft with them. Uh, Thankfully, they were less, they were less irritating on the raft and I tried to be nice to them. Um, But the highlights (laughs) of that trip were... So we went through like, I don't know, maybe six or seven rapids. And Perla told us, she's like, you know, the first will be the easiest and they get progressively harder. So on the first rapid, she falls out. Our guide falls out of the raft. Oh my God. (laughs) Okay. First, let me tell you, she said that was the first time that it ever happened to her. We're like paddling along because she's like in the rapid. She's like, do not stop paddling. She's like, even if you think your oar isn't going into the water, keep paddling. She's like, if you stop paddling, then the river takes us and it may flip us and all this stuff. So Vivian notices, I guess Vivian starts yelling, she's out, she's out. And of course, we don't know what's going on. And Jonathan's like, who's out? Because I was, Vivian and I, no, Naomi and I were at the back, but Vivian saw her fall out. Oh, and no. then you know, they had said, if somebody falls out, you have to rescue them. Right. And they're like, and the person closest to them has to rescue them. So I look around and I realize I'm the person to rescue her. <laughs> now, 
thankfully, you know, since she knows what she's doing, she didn't panic. So I feel like she was a much easier person to rescue because she knows you fall out of the raft, you have to try to make it back over to right, where somebody right, right. can like, so and, in, yeah. you know, it's like, so I had, you know, I had to lean on the edge of the boat and basically reach over and grab her by her life jacket and pull her like up over me. They're oh like, my she's like, God. You, just gotta, you, you can't just half pull them up. She's like, you've literally just got to pull the person on top of you. So to wow. make sure they make it into the raft. Oh my so, God. I mean, honestly, the first thought when they were like, she's out. I, once I realized it was Perla, I wasn't super worried for her, but I thought, oh my God, we don't have anybody in this raft now that knows what they're doing. Right. That is steering this thing. I'm like, this thing could literally just flip on all of us now. Oh my God. I'm like, we've got to get her back in quickly. Oh my God. Yes. <laughs> so then of course I was like, thank you. Thank you. I'm the hero. And Perla was like, you did that perfectly. And then like, She's like, she would tell us like, we'd be going through the rapids and she'd be like, stand up, stand up. And people wouldn't do it. But I stood up and she's like, you have very good balance. I was like, I know. I'm just so great oh, at because this. You, you have the heart of a world-class athlete. That's why. That's right. Yes. I, it's like I'm an elite athlete. Um, and then the other fun part was we, all the Alexanders did eventually jump into the river. Not Yay. in a rapid. One time she tried to tell us, she's like, you can jump into the rapid and just like, you know, be taken away by it if you want. And we're like, yeah, no. And that crazy <laughs> Dutch boy, Will, did it. And I mean, I was like, yeah, you kind of look like you're drowning, but you did this to yourself. So we're just going to keep letting you go. <laughs> but we jumped into that water. It was, even with the wetsuit, it was so freaking cold. I could not believe it. So anyway. Ooh. Yeah, That's so Argentina hilarious. was fun. That's and awesome. Buenos Aires, we did like, you know, some city touring and saw different neighborhoods and things like that. I personally would have liked to have spent more time in Buenos Aires on the trip and less time in nature. But again, this was Jonathan's uh, trip. So we, so we did what he wanted. And now it's time to plan my trip. Mwahaha. I'm mean though. I'm just like, um, I'm going. And if you can't find somebody to watch Vivian, then you can't come with me. Because <laughs> I switched my continent that I'm checking off this year is going to be Australia, not Antarctica. I think one, I need a little more time to plan for Antarctica. And two, Vivian is very distraught at the idea of Jonathan and I going to Antarctica because she's worried we're going to die. So yeah, I'm not thrilled about it. I get it, but I'm not thrilled about it. Well, Jonathan and I are going to look into seeing if there isn't like a drain your life savings kind of way to fly because you can fly to get over to the continent. Um, but I mean, honestly, I think I read somewhere, but I feel like that would be a private charter. I feel like there's an 80 passenger plane that can maybe get you there, but they're like 54 to $100,000 per person to take a two hour flight to Antarctica. <laughs> Oh my God. <laughs> so anyway, yeah. So I don't know. So I think I'm going to focus on Australia. Okay. But uh, that's doable. Yeah. But man, it takes such a long time to get I there. Know. I know. That's I why I told be. Jonathan because he said, well, are you thinking we'd do it over winter break? And I said, no, because I mean, we're not bringing the children anyway. I'm not 
I mean, Vivian would like to go to Australia. It's one of the places she wants to go, but she realizes she can't spend that much time on a plane. So, right. Because, I mean, you're basically, I mean, it takes like 24 hours to get there. Just about. And most of that is flying. Like, you have to make a connection. So maybe you have like a couple hour layover, you know, somewhere. But other than that, they're like, here you go. It takes 26 hours and 52 minutes to get there. And I'm just thinking, oh, man. All right. <laughs> oh, man. Oh. My gosh. All right. Well, we didn't even get to sports and we're already an hour long. And like, Well, you know oh. what? That's okay. Because by the time this has come out, there's going to be more updates to that. Because oh, I know. we are in the middle of the playoffs or at the tail end, I should say. And then we're at almost at the tail end of the Australian Open. We're like in the middle of the playoffs. I'd say you got to finish this week in the NFL. Then you have the championship game. Then you have the Super Bowl. Yeah, yeah. I know. Well, yes. Anyway, as we as we wrap it up here on January 22nd, 2023, the Buffalo Bills are getting ready to take on the Cincinnati Bengals in, you know, what will be an interesting matchup since, as everybody knows, no, not everybody knows, but a lot of us know this was the game a few weeks back that got canceled because T. Higgins of the Bengals hit DeMar Hamlin of the Buffalo Bills when they were in a kind of tackling, totally legal tackling situation, yeah. caused uh, caused DeMar Hamlin to go into VFib, I think. And uh, for lack of better phrasing, I you know he, he died. basically died on the field, and they brought him back to life. And he's, he's actually on his road to recovery. I mean, I think he showed up at practice just to say hi to everybody. What? Yeah. I think wow. he's, okay. he's already home. And I think he showed up at practice just to say hi to everybody and say thank you. Um, All right. Well, that's amazing. Cause I, you know, I obviously I'd heard he was making a recovery and, you know, they were thrilled with his progress or his neurological, you know, everything being intact, moving his extremities, all that kind of stuff. And then, I mean, I think I knew he had been released, but I'd also heard they're like, hey, listen, you know, he still has a bit of a recovery ahead of him. And there is still a question if you can ever play football. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I don't know. When just, I, I just prayed for him when it happened. And I just, yeah, I know. That's a tough one. That's a tough one. And then I just, I, I just laughed. I was so angry at the NFL for even considering to keep going with the game. And it was the two coaches that jumped in and said, absolutely not. What are you crazy? The guy died on the field and you want us to take the field and keep going? Absolutely not. Yeah. I know. I think the NFL is trying to debunk that as well, saying that yeah. isn't what we actually said, which, you know, honestly could be because it could have been the referees on the field who were like, thinking they were following some type of protocol yeah. and then you know the commissioner's office gets involved and talks to the coaches and everybody agrees but right I did say because you know so this game is in Buffalo the Bills ended up the number two seed the Bengals ended up the number three seed and I did wonder that they shouldn't hold this game in a neutral location like the championship game that they were going to do um in a neutral location because right. If the Bengals had beat the Bills that week, would the Bengals have been the number two seed, in which case they would have had home field advantage and the Bills would have had to go to them. Right. But you know who got hosed the most in all of this, I think, is the Ravens. 
because, and I'm not a Ravens fan at all, but the Ravens beat the Bengals in both games. So they have the head to head record. And I think they could have ended the season with the same record, but since Cincinnati played one fewer game, they had the better winning percentage Uh and they went off of winning percentage. So, um, and then, so the Ravens didn't get to host, wait, did the Ravens host that game? Now I can't remember, but I, the Ravens didn't get to win the division. Basically the division went to the Bengals and I think that was still up for grabs and, and the home game, but I don't know, as you know, my Tampa Bay Buccaneers are out. They were atrocious this season. I blame it on Todd Bowles. Um, Tom, as I've pointed out many times, was still setting single season records. Uh, Tom was doing his job and everybody around him was sucking. And I wish they had fired Todd Bowles. Instead, Todd Bowles announced they basically fired the entire offensive staff, the offensive coordinators, the linebacker coach, the quarterback coach, fired everybody. So, but I don't know if Tom's going to stay there. It'll be interesting to see where Tom ends up. If I were him, I wouldn't want to come back to the Buccaneers because I'd be mad at them. Just depends on what the situation is once season comes around again. What's what's being offered, who they're going to have on staff, and that type of thing. And where else he could go to play. Right. Where he wants to go to play. Like I said, I just don't know if he'll leave Florida because his kids live here. Right. So, but anywho, yes, next, next podcast episode, we will uh, focus on sports more. Super important. And Maybe we'll have MD back by then who is not ready to participate in this, our 100th episode. And if he's listening, maybe he'll have something to say about it. Cause I don't think he knows we, we were going ahead and recording. So. Okay. All right. Well, good luck to your Dallas Cowboys. Thank you. We need it. Who are playing tonight, right? San Fran in San Fran. All right. That should be a good game. I might try to watch a little. I hope it's a good game. Win or lose. I just hope it's not a blowout. I hate that nonsense. (laughs) Except when it happens to the Giants. I think they got thrown out last night. That's right. No, no love for the Giants here. Nope. Nope. (laughs) All right. Well, thanks everybody for listening. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. All right.